He was accustomed to the scrutiny of strangers, but saw no reason to court it unduly. The Imp, they called him, since he rarely came higher than the shoulders of other men and had a loping, insistent gait that made you feel he might, without any warning, take a leap onto a window ledge. It was possible to see, even through his coat, a kind of urgent power in his limbs, and his brow bulged above his eyes as if it could barely contain the range and ferocity of his intellect. He affected a long black fringe that mimicked the edge of a raven's wing. Beneath it, his eyes were dark. He was thirty-two, a surgeon with a hungry, disobedient mind. The lights went out and relit and Garrett's destination came closer. He was due within the hour to attend the funeral of a patient, and no man ever wore his morning clothes more lightly. Michael Seaborn had died six days before of cancer of the throat, and had endured the consuming disease and the attentions of his doctor with equal disinterest. It was not towards the dead that Garrett's thoughts were now directed, but rather to his widow, who, he thought smiling, would perhaps be brushing her untidy hair or finding a button gone on her good black dress. The bereavement of Cora Seaborn had been the strangest of all he'd seen, but then he'd known on arrival at her foul street home that something was awry. The atmosphere in those high-ceilinged rooms had been one of confirmed unease, seeming to have little to do with sickness. The patient at that time had still been relatively well, though given to wearing a cravat doubling as a bandage. The cravat was always silk, always pale, and often very slightly stained. In such a fastidious man, it was impossible to imagine that it was done unconsciously, and Luke suspected him of trying to make his visitors ill at ease. Seaborn had managed to convey the impression of height by being extremely lean, and was so quietly spoken it was necessary to come near in order to hear him. His voice was sibilant, he was courteous, and the beds of his nails were blue. He'd endured his first consultation calmly and declined an offer of surgery. I intend to depart the world as I entered it, he said, patting the silk at his throat, without scars. There's no need to suffer, said Luke, offering unsought consolation. To suffer? The idea evidently amused him. An instructive experience, I'm sure. Then he'd said as if one thought naturally followed from the other. Tell me, have you met my wife? Garrett recalled often his first meeting with Cora Seaborn, though in truth his memory of it was not to be trusted, having been made in the image of all that followed. She'd arrived at that moment as if summoned, pausing at the threshold to survey her visitor. Then... She'd crossed the carpet, stooped to kiss her husband's brow, and standing behind his chair, held out her hand. 
Charles Ambrose tells me no other doctor will do. He gave me your article on the life of Ignaz Semmelweis. If you cut as well as you write, we'll all live forever. The easeful flattery was irresistible, and Garrett could do nothing but laugh and bow over the offered hand. Her voice was deep, though not quiet, and he thought at first she had the nomad accent of those who've never lived long in one country, but it was only that she had a faint speech impediment, overcome by lingering on certain consonants. She was dressed in grey and simply, but her skirt's fabric shimmered like a pigeon's neck. She was tall and not slender. Her eyes also were grey. In the months that followed, Garrett had come to understand a little the unease sent.